the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, with Kathleen and Brian Milanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian are here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. Hey, Biblical Citizens, let's roll. We seek to inform and equip Christians to act in the public square, including voting. This fall, we have a historically important election, not just for national offices, but for local offices as well. And that's one thing our show seeks to do is to give a forum to local leaders so we can get to know them better, how they relate, how they uh, think, and how they act on our behalf. So particularly during this COVID period, we're realizing how important local government is in making decisions affecting businesses, schools, churches, and so on. So we're going to be interviewing today a local leader that we have a very high opinion of, Kristen Gaspar, our county supervisor for San Diego County. But before I introduce her, I am going to read two scriptures that are very relevant to this topic and they always are, historically throughout time, here from Exodus 18.21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who are fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And this is, of course, referring to when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in Matthew 10.42.43, Jesus called them together and said, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Just a moment on background on Kristen. Kristen Gaspar is one of five county supervisors. It's a very important, very influential role, and and we're going to let Kristen talk about that in a sec. Prior to this, Kristen was mayor of Encinitas, I believe the first elected mayor. She's a mother, community leader, and very importantly, she's a small business owner. And her family business employs about 150 San Diegans. In 2016, she became the youngest woman ever elected to the Board of Supervisors. And she's really promoting a lot of innovative programs helping our most vulnerable, the elderly, those who are coming out of prison, those struggling with mental illness, addiction, homelessness, while still being fiscally responsible. Kristen has a bachelor's degree from Arizona State University in broadcast journalism, so she's well-equipped to handle this. And I saw her giving the weather forecast recently on a local TV station. She and her husband, Dr. Paul Gaspar, have three children and live in Encinitas. Good morning, Kristen. How are you doing? 
Good morning, Brian and Kathleen. It's a pleasure to join you today. I want to start out with a basic question because we want to inform people, what is a San Diego County Supervisor and what are county supervisors responsible for? You know, it's interesting, prior to this pandemic, very few people knew about their Board of Supervisors at all. Now that we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of focus has been on the County of San Diego specifically because we're in charge of public health for the region. The best distinction I can make is that we're providing services to people within the community. A lot of these programs are your safety net programs funded by the state, the federal government. For the unincorporated areas of San Diego, we're in charge of land use, much like a city council would be. And then we also have a large task on hand protecting public safety for the region. So we oversee the sheriff's department for the county of San Diego, among other departments. It's a huge organization, 17,000 employees strong. We manage a $5.5 billion budget. And on top of that, we appoint approximately 132 people to regional boards and commissions. So a lot of work if you're a county supervisor. Boy, that's that's incredible. Tell us kind of what geography. There's five districts, and later on I, I hope to also uh, talk about how critically important your district is to the whole kind of which which way the five people vote. But what geography do you cover? Sure, Brian. So there are five county supervisors, and we are tasked with the 3.3 million residents of San Diego. So we have... Each one of us supervisors has about 650,000 constituents within our own district. So that's a little bit politically drawn, the lines on the map. But I'm uh, in charge of District 3. This represents your coastal cities. And see this Long Beach, Delmar, cuts over to Escondido, um, moves down through the Carmel Valley area, through Scripps Ranch, to Mira Mesa, all the way to MCAS, so large regions as large as congressional districts. Kristen, you are the mother of three younger children. You're a business owner and, in addition, a county supervisor representing 650,000 people, which is a tremendous amount of people. You know, we used to live in Delaware, and almost the entire state is the amount of people that you, is equivalent to the people that you represent. Uh, And so you're in a competitive election campaign and it seems like a lot to do. It just seems like you handle it really well. But this is really difficult during this pandemic, isn't it? Well, most people have never run a campaign in the middle of a pandemic, especially when they're one of the five tasked with the response to a pandemic. You know, I've experienced this from multiple vantage points. Uh, first, as a mom to three kiddos at home, I can share that the homeschooling and the distance learning has not been all too successful in my household, not to fault the teachers. They've been doing an incredible job, but it's really tough for these kids. And it's tough to watch our kids respond to the distance learning, especially over an extended period of time. And then, of course, as a business owner, because behind our 150 employees are the stories of their families. And it becomes really a cash-on-hand game. How long can I keep them employed? Uh, Can we keep the doors open? How long can we cover their medical insurance? Those are real struggles, and we feel that heavy burden every day. But at the same time, it helps me be in a better elected official, in a better position with this fundamental understanding of how much people are struggling. So 
I believe that, mm-hmm. yes, there's a campaign going on, but at the same time, if you show that strong work ethic and your willingness to just be first in, last out every day to guide us through really one of the most challenging times we've seen, that will translate into support come November. Excellent. And your faith must be a key element in what keeps you going, keeps you going strong. Uh, I just ask you about what's going on with your faith, how, how that informs you know, your public service. Well, Kathleen, faith really does shape my leadership. As a Christian, my goal is to always model Christ in the best way I can as a servant leader. And, you know, servant leaders really focus on the needs of others before you consider even your own, showing that love, compassion, and care for the people that you serve. And my faith really has helped me look at the people I serve as children of God, who deserve to be treated with nothing but respect and kindness, even in situations where I might not be treated with respect and kindness. Excellent. And that's what we seek to do as biblical citizens, is be out in the culture, serving and leading with faith and compassion. So what is one of your top issues? You know, everybody that's a leader must set priorities. And I certainly saw that with Brian as a leader of a company you have to pick out what's most important to do first as a matter of priority. So what is one of your top issues and, and how does that compare with your opponent? Because these are really important decisions that must be made. It's hard to believe that at this point in time, we have a million people in our safety net programs in San Diego. A million people out of 3.3. It's really quite remarkable. And Since taking office, my commitment has always been to work with those, to help with those who are the most vulnerable in society, but not with the typical approach, not with the approach that, here, I'm just going to take care of you forever, but really to empower people to make these life transformations. So I've worked in all of the tough areas that elected officials have avoided for decades, working with the formerly incarcerated those struggling with mental health or addiction, and our homeless population, all while trying to keep our community safe, this is going to become increasingly important because the pandemic has really shook our local economy, and we're going to need to have some great solutions on how we're going to help people up and out of our safety net on the local level. So uh, on your campaign page, I'm going to go on to another issue, which is Sandag. I've been at a couple of those meetings. I've seen you and others in action. And I know that the executive director, who it's an appointed position, and he just released some of his latest, I would call very expensive plans a couple weeks ago. He wants to continue, really ramp it up to move people from cars, out of their cars, into public transportation like buses. And also, as a complementary to that, drive people to live more in the urban cores near the public transportation, not so much in the suburbs. Isn't this kind of going even against what's going on with COVID right now? We read and hear all the time people are actually wanting to move out of the cities and maybe not feeling that great about just taking public transportation. How can we resolve this? Well, Brian, this really, at the heart of it, is all about priorities. You know, this is a 177 billion-dollar plan that this executive director has launched. This is the backdrop of what's going on in our local economy. Now, locally, we have twice as many people unemployed right now at this point in time than if you add up all of the years of the Great Recession. The way that he proposes to fund this plan is through an additional tax increase to all of our residents, and on top of that, a proposal to charge you for driving in every lane. 
And I really feel at this point in time, we have to put our priorities in check. We have to be realistic about our investments for our future as a region. This is a misguided plan. And the point in time when 900,000 people don't even know where their next meal is coming from, to me, it's absurd to be talking about a massive shift to high-speed rail for our region. That just seems really obvious that that's just not called for. That is really an absurd... Well, and you know, Kathleen, I've been vocal about this, and the executive director doesn't like it. And it's been real interesting to watch his reaction. In fact, it led him to become a maxed-out donor to my opponent in the supervisorial race, which really broke all precedent for an executive director of an organization, in which I'm technically his boss, to actively try to get me out of the way. But... So whether I'm in office or not, I'm going to be very critical of the moves of this organization, whose job is is to protect the residents of San Diego and to make wise investments in our future. That seems that seems like a scandal. Now, are the Board of Supervisors as a whole responsible for hiring and firing this person, or who? I know he was appointed, but who who appoints him? So the Sandag Board itself is made up of 22 of the region's leaders. The County of San Diego has two seats. Supervisor Desmond represents the other seat for the County of San Diego. The problem was that Sacramento passed a bill, AB805, through Lorena Gonzalez, and this bill shifted the power at Sandag, so it created a new weighted vote system. So unfortunately for North and East County, we do not have real representation on this board because if Chula Vista and San Diego like something, They have so much power and authority with their weighted vote that they get to rule the day and leave North County and East County without any say about it. Yeah, well, we're we're at break time, but after the short break, we're going to be right back with Kristen Gaspar. We're going to talk about our schools some more and homelessness and more. So be right back. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. God loves San Diego. This is K-Praise, a service of Salem Media Group. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. We are talking with Kristen Gaspar, San Diego County Supervisor, and it's going to affect your transportation, folks. She's been telling us about this critical issue of making people go on public transportation versus private cars and freeways. So we need to pay attention to our local races. Now, Kristen... Many of us are so tired of indefinite COVID lockdowns and churches and restaurants and so many things being shut down. And you've been talking about your challenges about teaching your kids at home and and bouncing all the balls, even in this really difficult environment. So, you know, you go to other states and they're not having so many restrictions. We've had friends that go to Georgia and they don't have to wear masks to go to the grocery store. They don't have hair salons shut down and other small businesses. Many other states are much more opened up than we are. And it seems to be the Democratic states that are really more in trouble or, you know, shut down. So even the CDC has changed their position to say that asymptomatic persons should not even be tested, even if they've been exposed to COVID. So that means they're not spreading it. To me, as a nurse, it says, you know, so we have really low numbers. We have low hospitalizations, be yet Wilma Wooten, our county medical director, and, and others that support her are just keeping these restrictions in place and saying we can't even meet together next year or, you know, not letting us lift up. So what can we do? Well, it's been a real struggle because California has been managed 
with a leadership approach that every county would be treated the same. The fact is that San Diego County is the second largest county in the state of California, the fifth largest county in the entire country. And when the governor is picking entire business sectors as winners or losers with uh, shutdowns by sector that don't even reflect the local data, it's highly problematic. You know, I have begged yeah. this governor over the past 167 days, if you can believe it, of this pandemic response to give us the reins, give us the control on the local level to monitor what's actually happening in our community until the point in time where we have the ability to make those changes based on our local data. I fear we're going to be in this constant mode of open, close, picking winners, losers, And, of course, the inability for us to have faith in our lives. People need to come together. We're social beings. And so the fact that there's just this uh, hard lockdown on any ability to gather is highly problematic. And we're seeing that reflected in the mental health and well-being of our residents. Yes, the suicides are going up, the mental illnesses, the alcoholism. It's just uh, unacceptable. And there is a big recall movement to recall our governor uh, but we need to really stand up as citizens and be in touch with our leaders such as yourself. And what about the schools? This is just really difficult to deal with the problem of children at home not being able to go to school. They're going to get behind in their learning. And our daughter, our granddaughter, is five years old. She's supposed to sit in front of a computer for two to six hours a day. Uh, this is just not what is healthy for children. And so I can't continue to watch my kids rot at home. It's unacceptable, and it's important for me to have these three examples of why we need to change things. I, we need a hybrid model. We have kids that are in that high-risk category that we need to protect, the vulnerable. We have kids in intergenerational homes that are more vulnerable at risk. They are great candidates for that distance learning protocol at this time. But it's disingenuous to say that it's great our schools are opening on Tuesday. Guess what? They're not opening on Tuesday. Many of our private schools have been committed since day one of finding a path to reopening their doors. This is not the case for public schools. Uh, We need San Diegans to look around and see how many public schools are open. What's at play there in the public schools are teachers associations, in many cases, keeping those doors closed. So for my school district, for example, the board has already voted. Our school will be closed through the end of October, and there won't be opening on Tuesday. So thankfully, a number of our private schools, especially our faith-based schools, are making that a priority to reopen. But there's a lot of confusion out there when Dr. Rutten says the schools can't open on Tuesday. Well, at this point in time, it's too late. Boards have voted. Teachers associations are at play, and they're keeping those schools closed. And it's not really based on data. Children are not getting this disease. uh, Remember when it was about the kids? These decisions are always supposed to put our kids first. Kids should always be put first, but they've been the first to be overlooked in this pandemic response. Uh, It was a big deal when I was able to work on getting day camps back restored so that these kids could get back to the sports and activities that they enjoy. We took away connections to passion and purpose and when we do that with young people it's a very negative response that occurs we're going to have a lot of problems with a number of kids 
And we're seeing that already, not to mention the number of abuse cases we're seeing. Lady Children's reports that they've seen more severe abuse cases over the past several months than they saw over the course of an entire calendar year because our kids are out of sight out of mind and in unsafe homes in many, many circumstances. This is what we, we have to raise our voices about, and I'm saying this to all the people listening out there and spread the word. This is not something we can just pass on. Kristen, when one of the first times I saw you speak, I'm shifting to another issue right now, but another important one, and that's homelessness. Now, as Christians, we cannot ignore those in need. In fact, we're commanded to look after those in need. But at the same time, it seems like our political solutions, they inevitably spend a lot of money, but it doesn't seem like they often get to the root causes. And I don't know that the homeless prob- homelessness problem in San Diego is actually getting any better. Maybe it is. You're more on top of this. But what have you been doing, Kristen, and what do you plan to do in your second term to try to address local homelessness? Well, if we really care about people, if we genuinely care about people, we need to redefine compassion altogether. We also need to call this out for what it is. This is a mental health and an addiction crisis. Is it that way for everyone? Of course not. But by and large, we have on our hands a mental health and addiction crisis. For years and years, for over 55 years since Lyndon B. Johnson declared the war on poverty, we've invested $22 trillion to address deep poverty in this nation. And guess what? 55 years later, $22 trillion later, we haven't moved the needle at all on deep poverty because we never are going to the root causes. We treat the symptoms. We see someone in front of us and we think that it's good enough to feed them, to clothe them, to even put a roof over their heads. Four walls and a roof doesn't solve this. What does solve this is that deep work, making sure that people have access to the treatment they need to be successful. This is where you see my office introducing all sorts of innovative work to make sure people have access to drug alcohol treatment and that people have access to the mental health services that they need so that no longer our streets are mental health clinics, so no longer our jails are mental health clinics, or our emergency departments. Yeah. Well, I was very impressed with some uh, innovative ideas. I, you made. You talked about a trip you'd made a while back to Austin, Texas, and seeing some private, speaking of private businesses, uh, coming up with some housing solutions, and uh, I thought that was I thought that was very impressive. I want to shift it was really gears. Cool. That community first village is worth looking into. I had the ability to stay there, and people should look into doing the same thing. It's a really cool model, funded with zero taxpayer dollars. They don't want the taxpayer dollars. They don't want the strings attached with those dollars. They want a therapeutic community, and it's transforming the lives of those who were chronically homeless. The people you look at and you think could never be helped are transforming their lives, and you can see it happen for yourself. It's really remarkable. still gives me goosebumps. Well, and I used to work in mental health, and I saw the treatments that were very successful in turning lives around, and people did become healthy again with with the treatments for mental health, a lot of the knowledge that's been gained. So I, I testify to that. Now, we were watching the uh, Republican convention this week, and one of the emphasis points was this whole concept of defunding the police. I want to ask you about that. I'll tell you, I think that's just a really bad idea, and I think I think this transcends political parties. Polling shows that the great majority of Democrats are not too excited about defunding the police, but 
their leaders seem to be, and perhaps your opponent, I don't know, but two questions. One, what do you think about defunding the police? And two, and this relates to what you were saying about the teachers' unions, several of these major teachers' unions have made this a demand before returning to the classroom. In other words, they've said one of their demands before they return to the classroom is defunding the police. So what do you think about that? So first, I would say that my opponent does support the defund the police movement, in particular the George Soros model. Uh, She left working for Soros to run for county supervisor. So you can bet that this is a strong issue for her uh, the opposite way for me. I believe it's really important that we not take the step to defund the police. In fact, our streets and our sidewalks and our communities have become almost outdoor jails. It's really hard to go to jail anymore. You have to really work hard at that. So the people that we're seeing in our jails and our prisons are the most egregious cases. Our probation officers have quite the task in their hands right now. Uh, If you look at just this pandemic alone, our governor in March released 2,500 people back out into the communities that were nearing the end of their terms to help free up space and protect people in the jails from COVID. Kristen, I I would really love to go into this more. We're we're only have a few seconds left, though. And absolutely, I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that would like to learn more about your campaign. And if they're interested in supporting your campaign... How can they help and who should they contact? Well, I am an elected official, so I have zero privacy. I hope people do reach out to me on the campaign side, com, and would love to hear from the community. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Kristen. We've gotten to know you a little better. We know your positions. You've informed us on county issues for San Diego, and you. we are so proud of you as a servant leader. To bless your neighbor this week, go to biblicalvoter.com. Be sure you are registered to vote Vote and help others to do the same. Inform yourselves of what the important issues are. We've learned a lot today, but it is critically important that we get out there in the public square and we vote for the good servant leaders that we need. Till next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at the same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibilities Responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K Praise. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.